we have a very special guest this evening. I am really excited. Yes, you can. Woohoo. Ha ha. Hee hee. Pastor Carol Gosman is no stranger to anyone who's been in the Every Nation uh, 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 Johannesburg world, and uh, more importantly, actually, anyone who's been in the Every Nation world. Um, Pastor Carol is recognized as a prophet, not just in our region, but internationally as well. It is such a privilege to have someone who uh, has mentored my wife and I uh, from uh, almost like 10, 12 years ago. In fact, Pastor Carol and Pastor Andrew married us on the former stage before this new upgraded stage. Um, But more importantly, I have watched the grace of God over the the woman who's going to share today. I've I've watched and experienced what it's like to never quit and to trust God. Uh, Some of the people in this team have had the privilege to work with Carol. All of us will tell you the same thing. We've learned how to be people of faith by spending time with her. And so this evening, you're going to have that exact same experience. I want, to, I want to encourage you to be expectant right now, to make a decision to receive from God because his word works. And this evening, there's going to be an increase of faith in your life as the word is being preached. So could you do me a huge favor? Could we stand as we welcome onto the stage Pastor Carol Gosman? nearly made me cry. I've heard that if you stand on these crates, they like fall down and take you into another world. So I'm trying very hard to avoid them. But it's um, really, really great to be with you. For those who who don't know me, my husband and I have been in ministry for over 30 years. Can you believe it? I know that's older than most of you in this room. Uh, always when ministers said that in years gone by, I looked at them and said, oh my gosh, you're so old, so please have mercy on me. Will you have mercy on me? I don't feel old, but um, I, do, I do feel like I have a, a great word for you today. I feel like there's something brewing in my heart. We're going to be continuing on your series of God's generals, um, but I feel like even above and beyond that, I feel like the Spirit of God wants to speak into your hearts. And I feel like He wants to call out the greatness that is in you. I feel like He has a plan for each and every one of you. And I feel like so often we live in less than what He wants for us. Father, I just pray that as I minister today, That, Lord God, you would open up our hearts. Lord God, I ask that you would deliver us from small thinking. Lord God, I pray you'd help us to see who you really are and who we are in you, Lord God. I pray you'd separate us from those things that would ensnare us and and keep us from our destiny, Lord God. And I pray you would give us courage to step into the destiny that you have for us. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. So, There's a story that goes, it's not a story, it's a true story. This is the event that happened in 1815. And this event went like this. It was during the war of independence that America was fighting against Britain in America. And there was this particular band of American soldiers that were encamped outside of New Orleans. And while they were encamped out there, they, there were some British also there, and they got in their mind that they could, they could defeat the British at this town. So they went to battle, and they won a decisive and very famous victory over British forces at that battle. 
Why this is so famous is because some months earlier, unbeknown to them, the British leaders and the American commanders had met together in Belgium and signed a treaty by which they had declared America independent. In other words, these guys had gone to war to fight for something they already had. Countless lives had been lost when they went to fight the British for something that was already theirs. In those days, communication wasn't very good, and so they only got to hear about the fact that the treaty had been signed after they had um, done this battle. I don't know if they felt a bit stupid or what, but nonetheless, here was this victory that they went after that was already theirs. I feel like sometimes we don't know the victory that was won for us on the cross, and sometimes we are fighting battles that have already been won. How many of you have ever won a, te won a test, written a test that you thought you failed? Don't lift up. Oh, you did lift your hands. Okay, great. <laughs> so you wrote a test and you thought you failed it. I mean, I remember countless of those at university. And you know, for days and weeks afterwards, you know, you, you live this kind of mournful life. You know, it's nothing, food doesn't taste the same, your friends' jokes sound lame, you know, it's just everything is gloomy and dull and bad. And then you get to class and the professor hands out your papers and lo and behold, you passed. And you're like overjoyed. And then you think about it. I just, <laughs> I just lived two weeks in a hopelessness I didn't need to. Today I want to tell you about a victory so large, so all-encompassing, so pertaining to you, so liberating. And I want to propose to you that many of the battles you face on a daily basis, many of the emotional issues that you go through are unnecessary. Because there's a victory so large, so big, so incredible that has actually swept away all those battles that has already conquered. The peace treaty has already been signed and his name is Jesus. And his name is Jesus. If you have your Bibles here, do you guys still stand up when you read your scriptures? I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just, I came here once and you all stood up when you read the scriptures and I sat down at the wrong time and it was all very confusing. So I just, I just want to be right. You're right. Am I right? Okay. Okay. Well, we're just going to, we, we're going to, we're going to read the scripture. <laughs> there it is. Genesis 1, 27, 29. Stand up, sit down, do whatever you want. Just believe it. It says, Genesis 1, 27, 28. We're going right back to the very beginning. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
Amen. I feel like I should have stood up. Oh, I was. <laughs> when you get to 50, you feel like you can say these fun things. You can go back. Thank you. So, so this scripture, for me, the scripture speaks about something. It speaks about a dream God had for the world. It speaks about something that was deep in his heart when he molded you together in your mother's room. It speaks about a picture he had when he put the seas in place and he put the stars in place and he, he put all the forces that hold our world together in place. It speaks of a grand and glorious design in which the, the glory and the majesty of God would be revealed by mankind into every place in this creation where we would carry the image of God in all its glory and wherever we went, we would release that and pray and worship to Yahweh would arise from that arena because of what they saw in us. It speaks of God placing inside of every man, woman, and child a glory that is unstoppable, that is so beautiful, incredible, and majestic, and so powerful. It speaks about him placing in our hands an authority to release his glory and release his truth and release his ways into every sphere of life. And when God created all these things, he looked through history and he saw you. And he thought, what glory will she carry? What glory will he carry? How will they release my majesty into the world? How will they stand in positions of authority and teach the world around them to serve me and to love me and to know me? And this, this plan and this dream was so great and so glorious when God had finished it he said it is very good it is very good we all know the story and how how Adam and Eve created for this listen to another voice and somehow lost sight of that plan and that dream. And they chose a lesser path. But God never, never, never let go of his dream. And he raised up a man called Abraham and he said, through Abraham I will restore my plan to the world. And from Abraham came a nation, Israel, and he walked with Israel, and he talked with Israel, and he wrestled with Israel, hoping that they would be the ones to release this grand design on the earth again. They were unable to do it, and so God finally said, I will go, and I will bring and initiate a rescue operation to bring my creation back to the glory that it has lost. Through Jesus, he invites us into that grand plan again, and he once again is speaking into our hearts of, of that glory that we can carry, and once again, he is, he's releasing that. Yet so many of us settle. We settle 
for two cars in the garage and a holiday home. We settle for a large bank balance or a, a comfortable living or people who like us. And like Adam and Eve, we listen to the voices around we and we, us and we settle for a lesser plan. Throughout history, there have been men and women who refused to do that. They heard the call of God and they said, we see the plan, we see the design, we see it before us, and we want it. Jesus said some remarkable things when he was on earth. He said that. <laughs> From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What was he saying? What was he saying? He was saying, ladies and gentlemen, men and women, get your minds right. Think differently. Position your hearts in a different place, for there's something coming that is going to blow your mind. Rolling through me is coming a kingdom that is going to establish itself on the earth and the grand design, the glory of God is once again going to be residing in mankind and visible to the earth. He said, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. To all his disciples, as he said, sent them out, he said, don't compromise. Preach this high standard. See what I see. See what's coming. Don't settle. Tell your people. Tell the people around you what's on the way. Sometimes they tried to keep them in towns. And when he was doing these miracles, they said, don't go. Just stay here and be with us. And he went ahead and he said this. He said, guys, if you don't put it up there, I'm going to have to get my glasses. There we go. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. In other words, I'm not staying here. This, this good news is too important, too glorious to be kept from anyone. No one can afford not to hear this. And finally... After he'd been crucified and he'd risen again, he appeared to his disciples and he said this, peace be with you. Remember, he had just walked through a wall. So when he said, peace be with you, there was good reason. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. What was he saying? He was saying this message that I've preached, this message that I've sent you to preach, this, the miracles, the signs and wonders, the power interplay between my kingdom and the devil's kingdom in which my kingdom always wins. The same experience of this new way of thinking, this new way of living, this new way of doing things, I am giving it to you. And I'm giving you, to, not to you just as a command, I'm giving it to you as a person. I'm breathing into you the very life that has led me on this crusade 
demonstrate. I'm breathing into you the very power that I have demonstrated. I'm breathing into you the God who created the universe. <sighs> Receive the Holy Spirit. And once again, mankind could stand, could stand in the glory. The image of God written across their hearts, the image of God written in their minds, carrying the image of God going out into all of creation and standing in places and saying, I come with a message, repent, for the kingdom of God is no longer near, but the kingdom of God is here. One of the people who really, really got this message was a man by the name of James Seymour, William Seymour, William J. Seymour. <laughs> he, he was born a long time ago in 1870. But I, the reason I love this story is because, you know, he wasn't born to a wealthy family. He wasn't born with great... Uh, resources around him. He was born to a, a couple who had newly been released from slavery. He had no formal education. He taught himself to read by reading the Bible. In fact, the Bible was his only education. He worked the plantations in the South of America doing what slaves had always done. Even though he was freed, he, he continued with the practices of his forefathers. But you know, there's something about the Bible that when it gets into your heart, it just changes you. And I don't know what particular parts of the Bible influenced him, but I bet you he read Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Change the way you think. Look and see what I'm doing through you and through all of mankind. Look what I have done. And at the age of 25, he did an unprecedented thing at that time. He left his homestead, and he went to the cities, and he chose to live as a free man. Because the Holy Spirit inside of him and the Word of God had spoken into his heart who he was. And instead of listening to his environment and his past and his parents' stories, he said, no, I hear the living God speaking into my soul and I know who I am. And despite the disadvantages, he went and became successful as he worked in different areas. He contracted smallpox and he, he became blind in one eye, but even that was unable to stop him. After encountering famous men of God at the time, he came to understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that not only the indwelling presence, but the empowering presence of God after salvation to come and bring the evidence of the gifts in his environment and in our lives was a true and a real thing. And he began to preach it. This is what I love about him. He preached it long before he experienced it. 
Because he was, he was a man that said, if God said it, it's true. Whether I experience it or not, I am going to preach the truth and I will preach myself to the experience. I will believe myself to the experience. I won't wait for the experience to give me faith. Remarkable. Finally, a small congregation in Los Angeles called him and said, will you come and pastor us? We all are believing for the, this speaking in tongues, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Come along and please be our pastor. He arrived in Los Angeles and he, he, he led a meeting in someone's home and it became so popular that the home filled up that they finally went and bought a building um, on a street in Los Angeles called Azusa Street. Does that sound familiar to you? This place was an old barn where they had kept animals. You know, God likes to come to animal sheds somehow. It's just, it's just I don't know, if you want to have a successful church, buy a, a cattle crawl or something. I just don't know. It just seems like it works. Do you know, he, well, he, the, the official meetings started in 1906. In a little over a hundred years, there are over half a billion Pentecostal charismatics in the world. Not only that, but it is the fastest growing religion out of all the religions. You've heard the stories about how Christianity is declining. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I can tell you this, Pentecostal charismatic Christianity is not declining. It is growing in leaps and bounds. It is taking over Africa. It is taking over South America. And everywhere where it puts its foot, the Holy Spirit explodes and takes over nations. And it started because one man said, I see the dream. I see the picture. I am unwilling to settle for anything less than me standing in the glory that God has made me to be and to reflect the image of my king to the world and unashamedly declare the authority that I carry to establish the kingdom here. There was a lady who was part of this outpouring of the Spirit because what happened when they, they met there, they... They did this thing where they tarried, where they like stayed in a room and they just waited for the Holy Spirit and they, they like didn't eat, they didn't go home, they didn't do anything, they just stayed there. <laughs> of course the Holy Spirit came. Now, now we know we can just step into it by faith, but you know, then they, they were just working this thing out. And some of them stayed for days, just like, Lord, please, please, please. And finally, you know, they would just get it and burst out in tongues. But one of the women who was a part of this revival, her name was Cotton, you know where she also came from. And she, she wrote this, or she spoke this about it. It says, The noise of the great outpouring of the Spirit drew me. I had been nothing but a walking drugstore all my life with weak lungs and cancer. As they looked at me, they said, Child, God will he heal you. In those days of the great outpouring, when they said, God will heal you, you were healed. For 33 years, I have never gone back to the doctors. Thank God, nor any of that old medicine. The Lord saved me and sent me on my way rejoicing. A 
On the next slide, you'll see some pictures of the old barn that they met in, the Azusa, original Azusa Street premises. And there's a picture of the actual revival. What was so remarkable about this is that here was a one generation out of slavery man. And he led black, white, Hispanic, Chinese. One of the greatest characteristics of this outpouring and of this revival is that every kind of person was there. Some of the things that were characteristic of the outpouring was this. The members of Azusa would knock on doors to witness and pray for the sick throughout Los Angeles. They stood on street corners singing and preaching, working as volunteers to clothe the poor and feed the hungry. The seekers made a demand on the word's authority. If insects tried to destroy someone's crop, this is wild. Believers at Azusa marched out to the field and declared the word of God over their crops and the insects. In every recorded account, the insects stayed where they were told and didn't cross the field borders. Gosh, I want that. Mosquitoes no more. (laughs) Multitudes have come. God makes no difference in nationality. The people are all melted together, made one lump, one bread, all one body in Jesus Christ. No instrument that God can use is rejected on account of color or dress or lack of education. Guys, this is the dream. Can you see the dream in action? Can you see God finding a man and a woman who will say yes, who will look at the cross and say, that's the victory that was won for me. I refuse to stand in anything less. And guys, you don't have to run a revival on a, in a cattle crawl somewhere. You don't have to follow in exactly his footsteps, but you do have to follow in the footsteps that God made for you. There is a dream that God has for you. And he is wanting to rekindle in you a a vision of a world where Jesus is king. I want to tell you a story. And it's about a very wealthy businessman. Unlike all the other stories I've told you, this one's not true, but just imagine it. It's a wealthy businessman, and he has a son. And from a young age, he begins to groom the son to take over his business. He teaches him the ways of the business. He, he walks with him, talks with him, keeps growing the character in him necessary to lead at that level. And in this beautiful mansion where they live, there is also a man who works in the garden. And this man looks at the wealth that the son is going to inherit, and he says, I want it. And so whenever the boy is playing in the garden, he he sidles up to the son, and he he whispers in his ear, your dad's not really. This doesn't really belong to you. Your dad's just messing with you. He's going to keep it all for himself. And over days and weeks and months and years, those whispers get into the son's heart. 
And finally he comes to the son and he says, I tell you what, if you go into your dad's bedroom and you get the keys to this mansion and the keys to his offices and give them to me, I will liberate you from the bondage of your dad and I will give you the whole empire. The boy is overawed and he says, yes, I'll do it. He runs into the bedroom, grabs the keys and comes out and gives them to this man. Of course, the man comes in with his hordes and they take over the mansion, they take over the offices, they expel the dad. I don't know how they do it, but they do it and they take over everything. I haven't ironed up all the details of the story. And he grabs the son and he locks him up in the attic because he doesn't want him inheriting anything because he wants it all. And to some degree, this is our story. This is our story. It's that we have a father who's been raising us up to rule and reign on this earth, to establish his kingdom, to demonstrate his goodness and his life in every area. And yet we've listened to the whisper. And you know, I want to propose something to you that, that when Adam and Eve handed over the authority to the serpent, they did more than just fall out of good graces with God. They handed authority for the world over to him. And instead of him elevating us, he bound us in chains of greed and dissatisfaction and jealousy and hatred and pain and heartache. And I want to propose to you that our sin has done more than just create a wedge between us and God. It's damaged the world. And it has bound us in demonic chains. And you know, when Jesus hung on the cross, he did, he did more than just pay for your sins, which is glorious and wonderful and incredible. He did more than just make a way for you to go to heaven when you die, glorious and wonderful and incredible as that is. If there was no other reason, that would work for me. But you know, the consequences of what we've done, we've done, have opened us up to demonic influence that is harsh, destructive, and painful. And our lack of trust in our Heavenly Father has allowed consequences that we're heading our way at a high rate. And like someone standing in the road when there's a runaway bus on the way, Jesus, seeing what was coming our way, rushed in and stood in front of the bus and said, no. And when he hung on the cross, the bus hit him. And at the same stroke, bam! He set you and me free 
put the chip on the chains of bitterness, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, hatred, jealousy, hopelessness, powerlessness, fear, pride. And in one instance, still here, in one instance, He invited you back into your inheritance. He invited you back into your inheritance. If you don't believe me, the Bible says the same thing. It's about to say it on your screen. There it is. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Thank you, Roger. <laughs> I see he's standing in the image of Jesus and making glory happen. So great. <laughs> you know, whatever you choose to do, you are choosing to obey someone. Yeah. Should we just say, should I say that again? <laughs> whatever you choose to do, you are choosing to obey someone. Hebrews tells us this, that Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. There is a victory that happened on the cross that means you never have to live in fear again. It means that you never have to feel powerless ever again. It means that every situation you face, there is always a solution. That it means that inside of you, there is living a powerful God that is unstoppable. His victory on the cross means that the establishment of his kingdom is a done deal. It means that you can once again shake free the bondage of small thinking, of settling for less and stand in the glory and the majesty of who you were called to be, one who reveals the image of God in every sphere. How many of you watched the Curry Cup yesterday? Was it yesterday? Yesterday. Can you tell I didn't watch it? But I saw the score. I saw the score. Maybe two weeks ago, you watched the Soweto Derby. Likewise, I didn't watch it, but I saw the score. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's this very thing that Jesus did for us, that, that on the cross, he went and he won the Soweto Derby, he won the Curry Cup, he won the World Series, he won everything. And he comes to you who has never kicked a soccer ball, never held a rugby ball, and doesn't even know what those H posts mean. It is an H, isn't it? And he hands you the trophy. And you stand in your workplace, and you stand in your family. And you stand holding the trophy and you stand saying, 
God has won. You don't have to live in fear and pain anymore. You don't have to live with this discord and the small thinking anymore. There is a victory that's won. That means that this battle that you're facing has already been defeated. That what lies ahead of you no longer has the power to keep you in bondage. That you can be alive, happy, good, kind, patient, gentle, powerful. Because the victory has already been won. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. I'm handing you back the dream. What you saw me do, go and do likewise. Guys, I don't know what your dreams are. I don't know what your plans for your life have been. But I want to invite you to lay those dreams at the cross and pick up Jesus' dream. I want to invite you to lift up your eyes and see God's plan for the world and see a world and a community and a South Africa free from corruption, free from smallness, free from hatred, free, free, free from prejudice, free from greed. I want you to look at your neighbor and see someone that Jesus died for, that the battle for this one's soul and heart and understanding and allegiance has already been won. And I don't have to stand in fear and intimidation. I can say boldly to them, you have a future in God. God has made a way for you to be successful. God has a way, made a way for you to step out of the pain and the insecurity of where you are now into a glory and a majesty. Come with me and let's spread the dream. And in conclusion, conclusion, Our great victory, the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of God in you, breathing, living, speaking, releasing His presence. It sounds like a song. Through Jesus' victory on the cross, we are restored to our original vocation to reveal God's image to the world. The presence of the Holy Spirit in us empowers us to this with greater works than even Jesus. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we come before you. And we ask, Father God, Father God, I want to ask that you would speak to our minds about what you have for us. Lord God, I, Lord, I want everyone here to know what you've won for them. Lord, where they are thinking too small, where they have settled for less, Lord God, where the ambitions of this world have opened, overtaken the ambitions of your kingdom, Lord God, I want to ask that you would grace them to step away from those. Lord, I'm asking that you would cause your dream to come alive in our hearts. And Lord God, we stand with a long line of men and women who have, who have heard the call and they've said yes. And Lord God, we want to be ones who say yes.